The Storytime Podcast is brought to you by Shoreline Publishing Group, Australia's best independent publishing agency or independent authors. Podfire.com.au, the best goddamn podcast platform on the planet. Shoreline Publishing is proud to announce the release of Samantha Hempstead's novel, Isabella and Chloe, The Journey Begins. She was brought up within a blended family in the 1970s where she was exposed to what she'd like to call many different belief systems. In the early days, her birth birth parents were very liberal-minded and being a child of nature wasn't unusual. Living in the country, it wasn't unusual either to encounter some strange individuals. Her grandparents were Anglican and Methodist and she attended Sunday school and was indoctrinated according to their beliefs. Grace was said at every mealtime and swearing was punishable. Her mother was more interested in Eastern religion. However, when her father left and remarried, he joined an openly charismatic church. She went to Baptist University, married an Irish Protestant Jew, and her whole view on what she calls organized religion changed. Due to a lifelong struggle with epilepsy, her life was constantly dictated around the activities she could do. One day whilst out swimming, she had a seizure and drowned. It wasn't a simple resuscitation. She was clinically dead when found. Her near-death experience also made her more open to many different belief systems that exist within our society. She no longer called herself an Anglican or Pentecostal believer. She preferred to refer to herself as a spiritual being. When her maternal grandmother was in hospital and going in and out of consciousness, she took a medallion that she'd bought from a small bric-a-brac shop in Melbourne and she took her hand and said, I want you to go back to France and tell me how it's changed. She knew there was more to life than what we knew. She also knew the medallion needed further investigation. Samantha is a firm believer there's no such thing as a coincidence, only synchronicity. And as C.S. Lewis once said, you are not a body with a soul, but a soul within a body. She believes now the soul is eternal. Her book, Isabel and Chloe, The Journey Begins, where Chloe will protect her sister Isabel from evil until their last breath. The life of Chloe, a 13-year-old French girl during the 1500s, can be challenging when working as a servant for a prominent aristocratic family during the Crusades. It can become even more hazardous as she learns she's the second in line to the Portuguese throne and one of the last remaining members of the House of Aviz. Even lies hold hidden truths. A recent reviewer said Isabel and Chloe, an experience of romantic torture and desire lost in shattered hopes, a haunting tale of a dark episode in French history and a wonderful debut novel for a new Australian voice. Five stars. Jordan, independent book reviewer. Samantha Hampstead, or is it Sam? Just call me Sam. Sam, welcome to Storytime. How are you doing? I'm well. Well, there was lots of words in that introduction. <laughs> a lot. There yes. was lots and lots of words. So what yes. I got out of that, it was really interesting when I started looking at this and sort of I try and get an understanding of who I'm going to talk to. But as I mentioned to you before we start, I also just learned just before we come on air because what I really like to do is get an understanding and hear the story, which is what this is all about. So to me, it looks like you've been brought up in a different lifestyle. You've had lots of different belief systems. You had a near-death experience. And then now you believe in something completely different. But you were then on a crusade to find out what happened in France. Did I get that right? Correct. 
Correct. Boom. Very, very true. Well done. Pretty much. <laughs> but but the even this is what's even more exciting, and I only found this out uh, probably about two weeks ago. So yep. it's totally crazy. Um, so I'm one of these people that does um, genealogy. And as I said, my Nana said to me, I want you to go back to France and tell me how it's changed. Now, the basis of my book is around a group of people called the Cathars. And um, one of my character, or my characters, Chloe and Isabel, are descendants of the Cathars. And there was a mass genocide that took place in a place called Béziers in France. So I did an ancestry DNA <laughs> test yeah. the other day. Um, I'm descended from the people in Béziers. No. Yeah. How freaky is that? Yeah, I know. I said to my husband, oh, my God, look at this. This is so cool. He goes, <laughs> yeah, you're just weird. <laughs> oh, thanks. But thanks. you know what? Weird's awesome. I love it weirdness. Is, is. I love being weird myself. It's great. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So where are you from now and when sort of everything that's going on in this weird and wonderful world, where, how's it affecting you? Um, I'm pretty lucky at the moment because I'm based in a subcontinent of a continent. So I'm based on Phillip Island. Yeah. Um, and can you explain what Phillip Island is to those listening? Phillip Island is, as I said, a subcontinent of a continent. Oh, sorry, ignore that. That's my mobile. It shouldn't be ringing. And it's pretty much on the Basque Coast, and we're surrounded by the rest of Victoria. So we have the penguins come. We have the MotoGP. Um, we're a major tourist area for Victoria, and it's a secret paradise that really exists in Victoria that not many people know about, which I'm quite happy with. And I'm, I'm quite happy with living on this secret island paradise away from the rest of the world. <laughs> Fair call, especially at these weird and wonderful times that we're living in as well. Yeah, yeah. We're lucky that um, we're not in the same place as a lot of Melbourne Metro. Uh, we are not in lockdown like Melbourne Metro are, we can still go about our day-to-day -day activities. The only thing we have to do is obviously wear our masks. Um, and, yeah, we, we are ahead. We're probably two steps. Two steps? I think it's about two steps ahead of what everybody else is in COVID. So, oh, that's good. So you're nice and safe, which is good. Yes, yes. Thank so, God. And my kids are back at school. Thank you, God. Even better, eh? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so why did you want to become an author? Um, difficult, difficult to say, really. Um, I, this has been a project for nine years. Okay. Um, I've been writing this for nine years, and I, I think I've always written. I've written my, my whole life. Um, but it became more of a project after my nana sort of said what she did. The books that I like to write are historical fiction. Not, so this is um, fiction? It's not based on fact or spiritual beliefs or no, anything like that? That's a very, very... Good question. Is, that's what I'm here for. I'm the question is, asker. Ooh, that's a really... <laughs> that's a really... Um, you throw me into a Pandora's box. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm happy to open the Pandora's box. box. That's what I'm here um, for. Let's open it. I, 
I would say, yes, I am a spiritual person. Now, I do not say that I am open to organised religion, despite the fact that I send my children to a Catholic school. I have, as I said, grown up around a whole lot of different organised religions, and I believe everybody is entitled to their own religious beliefs, and I'll respect those religious beliefs. Um, But... I also believe that there is, given what I've been through, that there is most definitely a higher power and there's more out there than what we're aware of. So how do you approach people that don't believe in what you believe in? Are you are you of the opinion that everyone's open to an opinion, or do you believe that? Every people... I believe that everyone, yes, everybody is entitled to their own opinion. Everybody is most definitely entitled to their own opinion. Um, and as I said to my ex-husband when we got our children christened, he said to me, um, "I'm happy to get the children christened." But he said, I don't want you to push religion down their throat. And I said, that's perfectly fine with me. I said, I'm not going to push cool. religion down our children's throat. And I said, if they choose to be atheists, I said, oh, I don't care. I said that this is something that I'd just like to do. If you're happy with it, I'll do it. And that's what I've done. And I haven't forced religion down their throat. And they've followed their own paths. So I will support them in what they want to do and what I believe I try not to force down people's throats. What I try to do is educate people and that's what I'm trying to do in this story because it is based on historical facts Um, but I'm using a fictitious mode and characters in order to present that historical story. So tell me about your grandma. She was wonderful. Yeah. She was absolutely amazing. Um, and she was French, obviously. She came from a French background, yes. Okay. Yes. Um, she was actually Scottish, but the generations back from her, um, I believe it was her, I'm just working this out, her grandmother. Yeah. That was from France, so it just it went back that way. Um. And, and was she a good storyteller? She was, she was. She was. She was really, really cool. And she was also strict. And yep. But it, um, if you wanted to ask her questions about history and about the family history and everything, she told you. She didn't, you know, sort of hold back. She, she was always good to find out. And I think that's the thing that we as a society today don't appreciate of our elders. They do have a lot of stories that they can share with us. And if you look at the Indigenous societies, they pass those stories on from generation to generation. Yet as Westerners, we seem to have forgotten that and not listened to what our ancestors have had or that the older generation have, we tend to let those stories go. And in, I mean, in some European societies as well, they, they pass these stories on too. It's, it's like passing a good family recipe on. 
You know what I mean? It's yeah, hundred percent. Like and that. And um, I've I've been passed on family cookbooks. I was stoked when I like my grandmother said to me, "What would you like when I die?" And I said, "Your recipe book. Can I have your recipe <laughs> book?" You know, it's it sounds silly, I know, but you know these recipes you can and these were handwritten recipes. You can never get them again. So, you know, it's it is it's stories that you can pass down generation to generation and. Um, as I said, the indigenous people of all the countries around the world. That's what they do, isn't it? Yeah. And that's how they keep their, their history. They, yeah. That's how they know about what their ancestors have done. Yet the troubadours and bards throughout Europe used to do that. But the people have not continued with the troubadours and, and bards in, in our societies, in European societies. They've sort of let that go by the wayside, but the storytellers, as I said, within the Indigenous societies have, have kept those stories going. I think that's great. I think perhaps we should head back towards that. Wouldn't it be wonderful if our kids were taught stories at schools, not history? You know, you know the kids, oh, they have Correct. to do history, they have to Correct. do that. Like my kids ask what I do for a living and I tell, I tell them I tell stories and they say, what do you mean? I say, mm. I tell stories, I learn people's stories, I, I tell people's stories and it would be a wonderful thing if it was presented to them as like ancient Egypt, here's the story of Tutankhamun and the way that that worked and the flow. They would learn it so much easier than Correct. having to read it out of a textbook. Yes, most definitely. Most definitely. So what makes a young woman, do you like that? I like that. Uh, from Phillip Island, right about 15th century France. Like I was reading this introduction. I'm sitting there going, okay, so the person on the other end of this uh, line is going to be a very oldie woman that's, uh, that's obviously got a lot of things to do with France. What What's the go there? Why? I understand you, your grandma said go and find out, but... How do, you, how do you work out to write about a 13-year-old French girl during the 1500s? Okay, so I found this medallion, okay, in a little bric-a-brac shop. Yep. Sounds crazy, as I said. Took it to my nana. I'm looking at this medallion and I'm, I'm just looking, looking, and I'm, I'm thinking I need to analyse this medallion more. So I'm looking at this medallion and... Something drew me to not the Cathars initially, but it drew me to King Sebastian of Portugal. And actually, uh, I lie there. It drew me towards Joanna of Castile. And she, she rocked. She was awesome. Absolutely. An amazing, amazing queen for her time. And then... Somehow I went down the line to Sebastian of Portugal. Now, he was in the 1500s, and he was an amazing king for his time. He... Um, Why was he amazing? What are you, what are you, you, you're very passionate about. He was I amazing. Am, I am. This, why this why was he amazing? What did you read? Was he like okay. Dr. Dre or something? <laughs> the Dr. Dre of the 1500s. You? Maybe yeah. not. Um, no, um, he he was all for women's rights. He introduced universities and pharmaceuticals. He abolished slavery with Brazilian slaves. He was the first 
Christian king to fight alongside Muslims. Now, back in those days, you should, the Portuguese actually felt that it was imperative to abolish Muslims, to abolish Islam. Yet he went against what he was told and fought alongside a Muslim king against another Muslim king in Africa. Now, this totally blew me away. I was just, wow. So you're going to go against the, the powers that be to, to do something like this. And he never married. And apparently he, he was also born heir apparent. So he was born king. Now, when he went off to battle, he, because he had no heirs, like all kings, when they go off to battle, they took along sires with them. Now, it was stated that he died in battle in Africa. Now, almost immediately, everything that was described, I thought, no, nah, this, this seems a bit sus. He, he can't have died. And when he was buried, when they took his body back to Portugal to be buried, they, they actually said, and it still states on his grave, here lies when it's um, what do you call it? translated, it says here lies King Sebastian, supposedly. Supposedly. They, they, don't, believe it's, <laughs> they don't believe it's his body that's, that's in there um, because they couldn't get the armour off. So they couldn't uh, identify the body. Now, the armour back then was specifically made for him. It was made for the conditions in Africa. Now, I stumbled onto a documentary partway through writing this book and it appears as if there was an assassination attempt done on him and it was actually done by a, Europe, uh, not a European, a Portuguese professor um, and it was on our equivalent of what we would call SBS. Mm -hmm. And it was fascinating. And for me to get really involved in, in a documentary like this is very unusual. So I was like drawn to this documentary. And my husband couldn't get me off the computer. I just kept pushing him away whilst I was trying to watch this. And they said it's impossible for the Muslims to have done this assassination attempt because they used clay grenades. The grenade launcher that this was done from was done with lead. The damage that was done to this helmet was done with lead and it was done to the back of the neck. And it was what done by a professional. So our, our today's equivalent of a sniper. Yeah. And my husband's, my husband's a trained ex-military ex sniper. So I was like, look at this, look at this. And, um, <laughs> yeah, he, he tended to agree with me. Now, I'm just theorising here. I'm popping yep. out a what if, okay, because when the Cathars were rounded up, they, some of them escaped from the town of Beziers. And I'm putting a what if they went down further south to Morocco. This is we're talking like three hundred years later, okay? So this is why we're saying descendants. What if Sebastian saw this assassination attempt 
saw it and gone, oh, you know, oh dear. Oh, I golly gosh. Else, oh dear, yes, golly gosh. <laughs> um, somebody's trying to kill me. I will disappear for a little while. And he went down to areas in Morocco, met a Qatar woman. They ended up together and produced children. So, as I said, it's 300 years later. So that's what drew me to, to wow. that. So you seem like the sort of person that once you get stuck into it, you're watching that to the end. You're not going anywhere. Look, this is me. I'm yep. all over this. Is that, yep. is that pretty accurate? That's very accurate. And the, <laughs> and the thing that excites no, but the thing that excites me about this is that it, it drew me in several directions of, of so many different angles because King Sebastian, he had his finger in a whole lot of pies. You see, this, this sounds silly, but he was one of the last grandmasters, uh, grandmasters, yeah, grandmasters of the Knights Templar in um, the House of the Viz back then. So he was, he was very powerful for his time. So um, he was a Templar knight, which was like, full on that was so cool um so we've got a templar in that the cathars and the templars were very close you have the cathars that were linked to the holy grail you have monsieur that comes into that which is further down the line from beziers then you have the voynich manuscript now the voynich manuscript is known as the unreadable book now, if you link the Voynich manuscript with Monsieur, it actually becomes a very intricate map. You also are able to have information about Lenaire Le Chateau, <laughs> which is located in France. It's, it's a whole network of maps and everything else, and you pull it all out and... I needed a glass of wine when I actually started I can't understand why. doing it all. I put it all out on a big sheet of butcher paper and I, I yeah, did a timeline. That's amazing. Yes, yes. And My how much fun was that? You looked like you just loved it. I did. I, I, I did love it. And there was a girlfriend that started um, doing it with me and I'd make her sit there and She'd scribe for me and I said, can you do this? Can you do that? And she said, yes, yes. So um, there were nights where I would. I would sit with a glass of wine and I would research and she'd scribe and everything else for me. And I, I've actually travelled to places, not overseas, but um, around Victoria and stuff like that and met different people who have told me things. I've hooked up with people. Um, most recently, a lady from the Bahamas who contacted me and we discussed the René Le Chateau. Uh, and she said, oh, my God, this is amazing. I can't believe that you found that. Another guy from Egypt contacted me. He said, I can't believe you're linking this and that. So it's the only thing I'm worried about is getting assassinated because <laughs> I draw links between... <laughs> between the Catholic Church and a whole lot of other things. And is that something you're really worried about or is that you're saying that tongue-in-cheek? Well, I've received a few emails and when I first started receiving the emails, I actually said to my husband, I go, 
I'm a little bit worried I'm going to get shot when this book comes out. Yeah. And he said, oh, you'll be right. And I said... <laughs> you'll be right, honey. I used to be a sniper. <laughs> pretty much, you'll be right. <laughs> and I said, no, I said, you've got to think about Dan Brown and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and he said to me, well, you'll be right. It's, it's a story that's got to get out there. And I said, yeah, I know. I said, but the, the thing is when you're writing about historical events sometimes there's history that shouldn't be brought up but something that was really interesting and that supported some of my story was when back in 2017 the catholic church actually acknowledged that they'd done what they had done and i really yeah they acknowledged that they had done it and the way they excused themselves was they said it was an unfortunate incident and the Cathars were merely another branch of Christians and it should never have happened. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to buy you a helmet and a vest. <laughs> okay, that's going to be part of the deal that you do with Shoreline. Next, I'll talk to people that I know that you know. Okay. <laughs> so one of the things I love to do on this podcast is the fact that this is all about the book and all about you as an author. Yep. And I like to call it, page 97 and the reason it's page 97 is it's just a little segment that we like to do on story time and it's where i get you to read page 97 out of your book however (laughs) you're the first and the only time this is ever going to happen because we negotiated earlier the page 97's too short you're also going to read page 96 correct so the whole idea of this is that you're just going to read that page correct no one, no one will have any idea what it's about, yeah. <laughs> what it means, but yeah. we're going to read that story. Because what I want to understand is one of the things that's really interesting I find when people read their own book is the language they speak in. And, like, if I read a book, I'm, I'm a very visual person, so I read it as if it's happening in a movie in my head every time yeah. I read it. But I love when authors read books because this is the way they wrote it and what they meant, and that's a really good understanding of that by page 97. Over to you, Sam. Over to me. Can I just give a little bit of intro into this very no. quickly? No, you've got to read page 97. Right. Okay. It's all about no intro. Okay. All right. Pardon? I don't believe it to be unclear what I just said. I know that you'll be safe in his care and you'll also be doing some of your training with him as well. I must have looked unimpressed as I sat, arms crossed, not looking at father. He continued in a stern voice. Do you have anything to say? Not particularly. I'm tired. I appreciate the fact that you've brought this man to meet us. I am sure he's everything you hope him to be. Today, though, I am trying to wrap my mind around the fact that I was beaten to within an inch of my life. My best friend is leaving and has kept a secret from me for weeks. My sister has pushed the limits of her existence. I am expected to become friends with a girl I hardly have anything in common with. I need to train and prepare for my own survival. You're going, who knows where, and, if I may use his name, James, is to become an addition to my already trivial existence. Everyone stared at me. I think Isabel wanted to slap me, Jean-Pierre wanted to kick me, and Father just wanted to choke me. James raised his eyebrows. I see what you mean, Sebastian. 
I'm sure I'll be able to enforce the discipline required to rein her in a little. Surveying him further, it dawned on me. Today wasn't the only time I had cantered James. He had been with Marcel. He was the second horseman. Leaping to my feet, I pointed at him across the table. Do you know who he is, father? This man is evil. I don't want to be around him. He watched as Marcel tried to kill me. How can you expect him to protect us when he supports those who want us dead? Father took a deep breath and said, sit now. I pulled back the chair and sat down as far away from James as I could. Once more, I glared at him, this time with disgust and contempt clear upon my face. As father looked to Isabel and Jean-Pierre, then back to me, he responded, Chloe is correct. However, that said, James is like me. He too serves two masters, yet his allegiance lies with us. I trust him and I ask that you all do as well. I cannot stress how important this is. Do not, however, trust just anyone. Your lives depend on I mean it, Isabel. At this point, Isabel began to cry. I leaned on the table, chin and cheek in my hand. Told you, but you wouldn't listen. Isabel knows best. Maybe listen to me next time. And you, miss, that is enough, Father Booms. Isabel doesn't need you bombarding her with your opinions. She has enough on her mind. My posture changed. I leaned back in my chair, threw my arms up in exasperation and said, fight. I'll not say another word. Enjoy your journey. Don't die. And I'll see you when you return, whenever that may be. I got up and left them all sitting in silence. As I walked to my room, I heard James say to father, well, that was pleasant. I don't think I'll forget that encounter in a hurry. Father sighed, saying, her temper is a downfall, I'm afraid. Thankfully, she doesn't know she got that from me. Love it. That sounds really cool. One thing I got for you is that you, you, you're writing in the first person, like so you're actually I and those sort of things. So who are you? Are you Isabella or are you Chloe? Chloe. You're Chloe, the are story you? story from Chloe. Active, yes. And do yes. we understand that from the start, that, that you're yes. Chloe and that's where you're yes. awesome? Um, yes. I really like books where I can actually understand that I'm hearing your story. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. I love the fact that it's written in that way. Yeah. Um, when you look back at that book now, are you personally Isabel or Chloe? Chloe. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> There's no way in hell I'd, I'd be Isabel in this book. Oh, that's good. To, good to know. Good to know. And we'll know more, obviously, when, when the guys read it. Yep. So one of the things I like to know as an author, because yep. you're a published author now, it, it comes out very, very shortly. How exciting it's is that? It's very exciting. What inspires you each day? What gets you out of bed? In terms of my book or life? <laughs> no, just life. Oh, my kids get me out of bed every day at the moment. <laughs> I've got to get up and get them ready for school. No, um... I think for a long time, I actually was sick for a very long time and um, I came to the realisation that, you know, you, you really only live once. You've got to get up and you've, you've got to make the most of every single day. And no matter how much it hurts, no matter how bad you feel some days, you just got to get up there, get out and do what you got to do. 
So love it, love it. It's it's a great thing, and I suppose when people like yourself that have gone through, well, not near death, you actually did die and come back. Um, experience that that changes your whole perspective mm. on life, doesn't it? My so the cover of the book, I'm looking at it right now, and explain it to me. Okay. Well, how how did the cover happen okay. and why? All right. So the cover came to be the way it was, and I'll look at the cover again as well. <laughs> um, no, I my husband Jason drew a concept picture up. And we sent it through to Shoreline and said to them, we want this design to be drawn up as the cover. Now, the the middle person is essentially Chloe. Yep. Uh, the one on the left is James, the, mm-hmm. the ninth... I can't, can't tell too much. No, he's James. No, don't tell us too he's, much. He's James. The lion is meant to rep, represent the king and the royal family, the royal lineage. Yep. And the cross um, basically represents the church, but also the Knights Templar. So the, the Knights Templar are involved in this. And, and the thing is, what we need to understand is that it wasn't that the Cathars held a different belief in terms of uh, Christ to, than the Catholic Church. What they did hold different material beliefs is the best way to say it. They practised from the book of John and the book of Isaiah um, and everybody were, was migrating towards the Cathars and that's why there was the genocide that took place. And um, I, I really loved the, the idea when we've got the French wolf happening in that because, and I'd already called her the French wolf as well, when you go back and you look through the history of Sebastian of Portugal, one of his ancestors, was actually called the French Wolf. Wow. Yes, and I didn't realise that. And she was one of the creators of actually the Spanish Inquisition. So Boom. That, Mind blown. Yeah, That's it massive. was. It, the whole thing's actually opened my eyes to a whole lot of different things. The, another thing about the Cathars is they believed in reincarnation. And I, I had to wrap my brain around the fact that how can a group of Christians believe in reincarnation? That kind of really was a that messed with my brain a little bit. Another mind-blowing experience. Yes. Yet, logically, they explained it. And, okay. Uh, the thing is, another thing that was awesome about the Cathars was they were accepting of anyone despite, like, irrespective of their place in society or their religion. So whether you were Muslim, Baptist. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. You're welcome with them. And that was so cool. Like, they were an yeah, amazing. Yeah, wouldn't that be cool these days? It would be. It would be. <laughs> but another thing that's really tragic too is the French are trying to wipe out any known information about the Cathars. They're trying to wipe out 
all the history about the Cathars, and I'm not prepared to let that happen. One thing I look at the cover here and it, it grabs me straight away is the fact that this is the French Wolf Trilogy, part one. Yeah. So obviously that means part two and three coming. Yes, part two and three, and I've already got the the titles for those. So what are they? What are the titles? Chloe and Andreas, the air rising. So H E I R. Oh, I see what you did there. Clever. And Andreas and Marcella, the final stand. So why a trilogy and not like seven books like oh, Harry Potter? Oh, well, that's the thing. This is this is just. The first part. This is just the journey. A trilogy of a trilogy. This is this is just the beginning of the story that starts with Chloe and how Andreas grows up. To mm-hmm. and I can't say much more. Don't tell us any more. We need I can't to read the say book. Much more. As I said, we've got the air rising. We've got all that sort of stuff. And, and how far along are they? Is the story done in your head? It's done in my head. Put in work? It's stuck in my yep. head for life, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> oh, as I said, it's taken me nine years to get the first book out. And I've, I've got, for anyone that, that writes, they'll know that to actually get a book out, it, it takes a long time. It does, you, yes. You usually have to write a timeline, like a big, okay, that's where this character, it's it's like any business even, when you're writing a business map and you're going out and you're doing your, your strengths and weaknesses and all this sort of stuff, you, ha- you have to do all of that. It's a planning planning model. And yeah, of course. That's, that's what you have to go through. You've got to structure the stories. And I could have written all of this in one book, but... It would. It's not meant to be written in the one book. It wouldn't have sat properly with the readers in one book. And do you see the book trilogy getting converted to the big screen or a little screen? This is so. This is so cool. When um, I first started to do it, and I had another Twitter account because I hadn't accessed the Twitter account at the moment. It's been locked, so I went in to access it again, and I can't unlock it. So I'm spewing. I had to start another Twitter account. But I got contacted by Red on White Films in France and they're like, they're an independent film company and they were reading it and they were following it and they said, we'd love to do a film on this. Oh, wow. That's cool. Can we do a film on this? So I've kind of kept in contact with them where I can. I've also got a friend of mine who has worked in the Australian film industry and he has several contacts and said this this would really be great if it would go to to film and i would love if it would go to to the big or small screen because getting something out like this would tell the the story even more like a lot yeah there's been stories on um joanna of castile because she was known as joanna the man um Mm -hmm. but i think getting stories out about her son sorry her grand great-grandson, what he has done as well to the Western world would be great. It would be fantastic. That's awesome. And would you recommend people becoming an author? Now you're an author? Yes, if if you are prepared to put in the work. It's not just a overnight thing going, I'm going to write a story 
and yeah. it's going to people think writing a book is easy it's not writing no. a book is not easy and getting a book published is not easy and people think it is and they think that if you say to somebody i'm a writer or an author they think oh you're a bludgy you don't do anything it's not that it's 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 the opposite, it's opposite. To that. it is such hard work and there have been times where i've sat and i've looked at something and i've gone this is terrible this is and i've just <laughs> deleted it or screwed it up thrown it out and even as a writer when you have to kill off characters or make characters fight or actually think up scenarios of what's going to happen like i remember one time in my book when i'm doing something i was crying and i said to to jason my husband i said i don't want to do this and jason said it's a book i said it's not just a book <laughs> you know it's, you don't understand husband yeah, yeah it is it's you become involved in it it becomes a part of you so and now it's going to be published in the written word forever. How exciting it is, is that? It's very, very exciting. So I can actually now say, yay, I'm a published author. So. That's pretty exciting stuff. So congratulations Thank on you. that. Thank you. What's next for Sam? Book two. <laughs> book two and then book three. And now I'm going to be writing books for the rest of my life. That's not necessarily a bad thing because it, it gives thing. me something to focus on. And the written... One thing people can never take away from any of us is the written word. What, what we say and what we write, irrespective as to whether it's on electronic media or paper, what we have to say, people can never take away from it. It can never be erased. And people need to remember that. A hundred percent. I couldn't say that any better. Sam, thanks so much for spending time with me today. I really appreciate it. And thanks for coming on Storytime. Everyone needs to look out for Samantha Hempstead's published author, Isabel and Chloe, The Journey Begins. Thanks a lot for that. And we'll hope to catch up with you again soon for book number two. Thank you. The Storytime podcast is brought to you by Shoreline Publishing Group, Australia's best independent publishing agency or independent authors. Podfire.com.au, the best goddamn podcast platform on the planet.